Hi, I'm Dan Hornberger, the host of Breaking Chains, the podcast that focuses on the grassroots of disc golf, the amateurs, the local clubs, the individuals who make a difference, and those who have had their lives changed because of the sport. This episode of Breaking Chains is sponsored by MVP Disc Sports, the leader in disc golf technology. MVP offers an incredible selection of discs within their MVP, Axiom, and Streamline disc lines. Soreness and injuries can have a serious impact on your ability to play disc golf, and ways to deal with those issues aren't easy to find. That's where Seth Muncy and his program Disc Golf Strong can help. In this episode of Breaking Chains, Seth talks about his beginnings, his transition from the Coast Guard to gym owner, and his program designed to help disc golfers improve their performance and remain healthy. Seth Muncy, my guest for this episode of Breaking Chains. All right, Seth Muncy is my guest for this episode of Breaking Chains. Seth, thanks for joining us. Dan, thanks for having me on. I'm a pleasure to be here. Before we start discussing Disc Golf Strong, tell the listeners a little bit about who Seth Muncy is. I live in Monterey, California right now, up near Santa Cruz. So De La Viega is only about 45 minutes from me. Oh, what a shame. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we had a course here, Ryan Ranch, that got taken out for a while. It was in the, it was back at a world's course, but uh, we still got De La. So, so happy about that. But I grew up in the Midwest for a little bit till I was about 10 and then moved to Southern, Southern California to Orange County. Uh, and been in California ever since. Uh, I'm almost 40. I got one more year, just turned 39. So I'm almost uh, up to that next division, and um, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm excited about. I'm really excited about going out there and, uh, and having some great conversations on the course and playing with the, you know, those guys. So uh, yeah, I grew up, grew up in Southern California, joined the military when I was 18, uh, moved to San Francisco, it was in the Coast Guard, so my job was search and rescue and law enforcement at a small boat station in San Francisco. Got out of the Coast Guard thinking I was going to be a firefighter and work on an ambulance. I did work on an ambulance, and I went to the fire academy. I uh, spent six years on an ambulance doing 911. Oh, that's great. So I was always kind of in the helping profession. After the ambulance, I felt like, okay, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get hired like hundreds of thousands of other people after 9-11. Uh, you know, so many people wanted to to join the fire service. So there was a, you know, we get 10,000 people show up for two jobs and I had a wife and a kid and I thought, okay, I need to do something else right now. And I started, I fell in love with training with, with strength and conditioning. So I started working in a, a training facility and decided to go to college and use the the veterans benefits that I received for service. And I went to Cal State Fullerton. Cal State University Fullerton. Got my degree in kinesiology there uh, with an emphasis on strength and conditioning. During my senior year at the college, I uh, had the great fortune to work with a professional hockey team, the Anaheim Ducks, uh, for their strength coach. So I was the intern uh, assistant strength coach there for the Anaheim Ducks. The coach, you know, really taught me a lot. I learned a lot about working with professional players, a lot of highs and a lot of low, a lot of lows. You know, when I was there, we were expected to kind of the, 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 the expectation from everybody was for us to do great things, uh, in that season. And we weren't winning at all. Our, our, um, coach got fired and many, much of the staff was let go like mid season. Oh, that screws up the whole season. Yep. It did. And it was, it was a great experience because when everybody's winning, everything works. They, cause we would train, they would train as soon as they got off the ice. So they would play a game and then they would get off the ice. They would come in. I would have all the shakes, protein shakes ready for them to go, which was one of the most stressful parts of my jobs was having protein shakes for the entire um, team ready to go and made because you don't want them sitting there for like, you know, 15 minutes after you make them. But yet you could be sitting there and, and the game is, you know, they're, they're, they're down by one point and there's 10 seconds left and I'm back here, you know, blending up all these shakes and all of a sudden it goes to overtime and I'm like, Oh man, now I got to figure, <laughs> figure out how to keep these shakes cold for everybody. So that was one of the most stressful parts was having shakes ready for the entire team. But when everyone is winning, everything works because they would come into the gym 
and we're all high fiving each other and they're like, Hey, how's it going, Seth? Let's do this. You know, and I can say any coaching cue and they're, they're spot on. They're ready to do it. But they also had to train after they lost, you know, with, with us having a losing season, the, the coaching cues don't work as well. You got to, but you still got to coach them, you know, and you still got to be there and support them, but you got to understand where they're at in their head space and things like that. So it was actually a, a great experience. Um, because like I said, I just got to be around a lot of people that were at the top of their level, but having those struggles, a lot of great experiences from that. But after I got out of the, after I left that, I decided I wasn't, I could have come back for another year. Uh, I was asked to come back for another year, but I decided that professional hockey wasn't really where I wanted to be like professional sports at that level because as a, as a coach, you're always on the road and you're not, it's not like you can bring your family with you. Right. You know, so my, my boss, my strength coach, he was missing lots of, you know, birthdays and holidays and celebrations and stuff. And you could be doing a great job, but if, you know, I saw it, you could be doing a great job and the team's losing. Next thing you know, you get the ax and now you're trying to figure out where to go. And he, he fortunately stayed there while I was there. He didn't, he wasn't let go, but you know, it was a stressful period. So I thought, you know, that's not what I want to do at that level, but got out of there and I opened up my own training facility up in Monterey. It's where my wife grew up and, and owned my own gym for four years. And it was a fantastic experience, worked with a a lot of amazing people, the general fitness, helping people move better and feel better and enjoy their lives and live life strong as we would, we would say often. And while I was up here, I was playing disc golf. I kind of grew up throwing a Frisbee. No, no, I didn't play disc golf growing up. Um, Huntington beach was about 45 minutes away. And I really didn't know about disc golf at that time. You know, back in the nineties, we didn't have the internet to write, to tell us where the courses were or anything like that. So, but I, my brother and I grew up on the beach throwing Frisbees together back, back and forth all day long, every day felt like we were out there. So I loved the flying disc. So when we moved up here, I found the disc golf courses, found the, the club, and it, it just became something that I became addicted to. Were you ever drawn toward Ultimate? I played some Ultimate when I was younger. Yes, like my, my brother and friends and I, we would play Ultimate together. And then when I was at, actually when I was at in college at Cal State Fullerton, getting a degree in exercise science, we had to take all sorts of uh, rec- you know, sports classes. So I actually took ultimate frisbee as a class as well and got credit for it, which was awesome. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's, it's fun to go to and be like, okay, I got to go to school today and play ultimate frisbee and get my college credits. <laughs> so yes, I had a, I played ultimate in college a little bit. I didn't play on the club team. I was, you know, I, I was a little, I felt like I was a little too old because they were all 19 years old. You were a non-traditional student. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I was already you know, almost 30 with a mortgage and lots of other things going on. And I was like, I'm going to break my ankles out there with these 18 year olds. <laughs> so, so I kind of knew my place. So I just went and had fun. So I didn't play the club team. So before disc golf strong, you had, you had your own gym. Yes. And that was what you said for four years. For four years. Yes. And it was and is uh, that when you got the idea to come up with disc golf strong. Yeah. So my, my gym was called Iron Republic. We were based around kettlebells and body weight, sandbags, non-traditional style uh, training. It was a training studio. So people would come in and work with me or another coach. Um, there wasn't one where people just come in and do their own thing. And I was playing a lot of disc golf. While I was out on the disc golf course, I noticed that people were, I was playing with my friends, they were complaining of a shoulder pain or oh, my knee's been killing me. Or they just weren't feeling like they were getting the distance or the consistency or accuracy that they wanted with each with their throw. And me being a strength and condition coach, you know, I realized, okay, well, I can give them some tips to help with their shoulder pain or give them some tips to help give them a little more power in their throw, you know, to develop a little more power from the body. So I started doing that. And then I was cleaning up the gym one night. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I was there till almost 11 every night cleaning the gym, getting ready for the next morning. So I could be there at five in the morning. And I was mopping a 3,200 square foot gym (laughs) that I did every single night. And I was sitting there and I thought, you know what? I think I want to start working with disc golfers. I want to start, you know, sharing disc, sharing this information with the disc golf community, with my fellow disc golfers. 
I have the knowledge, I have some experience in it. And I looked up, no one was doing it. Um, there was an article from years before from Avery, um, who I work with. I, I'm as his coach, I train Avery. Um, but Avery Jenkins had put out an article a long time ago, you know, on some of the things he does. And that was it. And so I came home and I said to my wife, said, Hey, I think I want to start up <laughs> some, you know, talking to disc, the disc golf community about fitness and strength conditioning. She's like, okay, <laughs> does anyone do that? I was like, nope, not yet. Well, you know, Seth, you said, you said the, you know, working with the ducks, it was very uh, prohibitive in terms of family time. And, you know, with the four years at the gym, you just told me you were there at 5 a.m. and then you were there until, you know, late at night. That had to be very prohibitive also. Oh, it was very. I mean, you know, I I was there, I felt, you know, between 14 and 16 hours a day, it felt like most of the time. I, most of my life was spent at the gym. And so it it was very challenging. And I remember one time I was coming home, I came home for lunch or something and had to run back out. And then one of my, my, my daughter, one of my daughters said to me like, okay, daddy, see you, you know, maybe I'll see you late tonight when you get home or something. And I thought, okay, this is not the life I want to live. That's killer. (laughs) Yeah. You know, just all day, every day making, making a space happen, which looking back with everything with COVID and stuff, I just feel, you know, my heart breaks for all my fellow fitness owners, business owners. I mean, you know, if I still own the gym, I don't know, it would be in a much different place right now if I had 3,200 square foot facility that I was not able to have anybody in. You go home and you tell your wife that you want to transition to work with disc golfers. How did you prepare for that? So while I, I still, while I still had the, the gym open, Iron Republic open, I started putting together, you know, I came up with the, the name Disc Golf Strong and then I started to really do a lot of research and and put together my training philosophy and how I wanted to approach it and what type of content I wanted to put out first. I hadn't really told told anyone about it, uh, many people. It was like 2016, January, January 1st, 2016. There is a triples tournament that goes on in the morning and it's called the holidays. All holidays here, just here in town in Monterey, someone puts it on temp baskets, and I show up and I got I got partnered up um, with a gentleman by the name John Baldwin, and he is a he's the 2011 Masters World Champion. He's a an amazing golfer. Uh, he's local here up in the Santa Cruz area, and he still goes out and competes at a high level. And he's sponsored by Innova right now. He was with DGA at the time, and so I started talking to. John and I had just met him and I said, Hey, you know, I, do you know anyone that does any kind of, you know, fitness information or health information for disc golf? And John's like, no, I don't know anybody. I said, do you think that would be something you'd find value in? He said, absolutely. He said, actually, you know, my lower back's been killing me. So I said, well, I've got this idea. This is what I do. I'd love to just help you out and give you some pointers for your back. So I started working with uh, John Baldwin or JB he goes by and helped him with his lower back. And that was kind of where it kind of took off publicly. You know, the St. Jude, the St. Jude was out here that year in 2016. And I went to that and he introduced me to Chris Brophy from Innova and some other people and just, you know, kind of just kept it low key, just started helping people where I could and just sharing information and posting some videos online. It wasn't, I didn't close the gym until 2017. So that's fairly recent. Yes. I was still training. And then outside of my training, I would also be shooting videos for Disc Golf Strong and posting them and and putting content out for for the disc golf community. So you're not using the 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 actual building. Yeah, where I had the gym. No. In the beginning I did. In the beginning I had, you know, I was shooting a lot of my videos at my gym. But after I, I closed that down, then I started um, shooting them elsewhere. And there was another small private gym in town that I was friends with the owner. And so I took some of my, some of my, my training clients that I worked with personally, just a very few of them. I, I kept working with them and took them over with me to this other facility. So some of the videos you see where I'm indoors, I'm at 
uh, a friend's training gym, then that's where I train my clients. Not now with COVID, obviously we can't be indoors here, but that's where a lot of my videos are shot. And then I have so many friends in the fitness community. So I'll be at another gym here or another gym there, you know, at a friend's place shooting some content. Yeah. I think the first video I ever saw uh, that you put out was you developed a routine with Ricky Wysocki mm-hmm. and that was in a gym. So was that another area? Yeah, that was actually in Arizona where he was at. So I had, Ricky had approached me about doing some, you know, training with him. We got to talk in and then it was in the off season and he's, I think it was like off season 2017, I believe it was. He was like, Hey, I'm in Arizona. And I said, Hey, you know what? How about I come out there for two days or so? I've got some friends in the area I can stay with and it's a quick flight and let's do some training. He said, all right, that sounds great. So I flew out to Arizona and a friend of mine has a facility there. I worked with him for two or three days. And then on the third day said, Hey, let's, you know, why don't we shoot a, shoot this little video here and, uh, share some, some of a little bit of what we've been doing. Any other pros you've been working with? I do. It, it's, uh, I don't, I'm not very public about it. Oh, okay. And, no, I, and I don't mean that in a way that I, I, I probably should be telling more people about the, the pros that are, you know, that I've been, that I've been working with over the years, but it's just, you know, I just haven't put a lot of it on social media. I work with, especially in the off season, like last off season, I was working with about 32 pros, I believe. Yeah, I work regularly with uh, Sarah Hokum, Nate Sexton, Ricky Wysocki, Kevin Jones, Paige Pierce, Madison Walker, Eric Oakley. Well, you're, you're naming the, the top of the, the heap there. Yeah, there's. I, I work with m- uh, many of the players, the top players. Um, I'm doing some sort of working with on some level, coaching on some level. And most of the FPO, like Rebecca Cox and Kona Panis and and then I work with uh, Jay and Des Redding, Avery Jenkins, some people that still aren't on to that aren't really touring and stuff. So I, I just don't put it. I guess I just don't put it out there as much as I should, or maybe I shouldn't. I don't know. I just I just don't really talk much about it. People are like, "Are you working with anybody?" I'm like, actually, yeah, most of them, most of them. Well, then on the other side of that is, uh, are, are you working with a lot of amateur players? I do. I so I work with amateur players on a through a different medium. So. I have a disc golf, I have a, a, a program called the Disc Golf Strong Inner Circle. And right. so the through the inner circle, we have members that are inner cir- that are inside the inner circle. And so they use my app and the Disc Golf Strong training app. And so they they are able to jump into training programs. We have a private Facebook group. And so they can ask questions and we do coaching calls each week. So every Tuesday night, I do like a live inside the Facebook group. Um, and then we have the Disc Golf Strong Performance Academy. The Performance Academy is actually a six-week coaching course that guides you through the fundamental building blocks of what it means to train and compete as a disc golf athlete. So it's broken down into six weeks where like week one is the prime disc golf athlete. We're going over goal setting, we're going over movement assessment to just, you know, determine where you are right now and breathing, the importance of breathing. And we work through the different weeks. The second week is the mobile disc golf athlete. It's all about mobility. It's all about what are, what are the key areas to focus on? Then we go to the stable, strong disc golf athlete. Week four is the, the powerful disc golf athlete. Week five is the, re- the prepared disc golf athlete, which we go over field work. What's the best way to approach field work, right? What, what is our pitch count? Are we throwing, what's our volume? Are we throwing too much? I say this often. The, the great thing about disc golf is you can play every day. And the bad thing about disc golf is we play every day, even if we shouldn't, <laughs> right? And, you know, and the week six is the recovered disc golf athlete. So it's the things that I've been working with, the, with the pros and the AMS for, for years now, since 2016, and bringing it together and actually having a guided course where everyone's going through it at the exact same time. And we have a private Facebook group and all that. So that's how I work with AM. So the pros, they, they use an app and I send them programs and we check in on the phone and through video calls. Uh, if I'm not on tour, which right now I would have been on tour if not for COVID. Well, that was, I was going to ask you that. Would you, would you actually be traveling around with the, the tour? I would. Yes, absolutely. So I've been traveling since... I did a little bit of travel in 2016, 2017. I did some more, 2018, even more. 
Last year, I did a lot of traveling on the road. And then I was spending a month in Europe and went to five different countries there. And that was a, an amazing experience and taught clinics in all the, in a couple, in five different locations, five different countries. And this year, we actually partnered with the Disc Golf Pro Tour. Uh, so I've been, I've been traveling the disc golf. Last year, we did some stuff with the disc golf for tour, but this year we actually were partnered and they were providing funding, um, to make sure that we were going to have an athletic performance zone at every single tournament. And since we're not there, um, we only made it to the first two since we're not on site, they're still setting up the performance the athletic performance zone for the athletes. And then I'm in a Facebook group with the athletes on the pro tour and s- trying to support them that way. Um, and then the individual athletes that I work with next year, we definitely, we will definitely be back on the road for sure. Well, it certainly seems like you've adequately addressed this whole COVID thing. Uh, you're doing the best you can and it had to be tough. Yeah, it, it was definitely tough. It was, you know, trying to, help trying to pivot, um, not only disc golf strong, but help the, you know, disc golf community pivot, help the disc golf pro tour and the athletes pivot in any way we could. I'm also on the PDGA medical committee. So, you know, coming up with our recommendations to the PDGA board of directors on what to do with COVID and how to address tournaments and play and things like that. So there's been a lot of pivoting and figuring out new ways to do things. But we're we're definitely looking forward to next year and getting back out on the road and continuing forward with what we're doing. We're going to be teaching clinics at all our stops so we can get the AMS out there and, and run them through, you know, a lot of the best exercises and the best movements and the best ways to warm up and have some special guests, you know, athletes that I train come in and help do some of the clinics. So we're excited about the future, but COVID definitely forced us to pivot. I really appreciate the the stretching and flexibility exercises that you developed, you put them out maybe, maybe was it maybe two months ago, maybe a little more, uh, you know, how to properly prepare yourself for a round. And you had a booklet included. And I, I just thought, I thought you did a fantastic job with that. Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, so we actually, it, it started the, the, disc, the, the pre-round warmup started to get really popular in the disc golf community, which was great to see back during, you know, when COVID started to happen and people were kind of figuring out how to keep their bodies moving. I actually came out with that pre-round warmup and that ebook back in 2016, the beginning of 2016, uh, because that's, I felt when I was looking at disc golf and thinking how, how can we start to make the biggest impact in our play and in our bodies and optimizing our performance, thought, okay, first thing we need to do is warm up. I need to be talking about a warm up because pretty much nobody's warming up. We all walk up, you know, have a cup of coffee in our hand, do a few putts, throw, you know, a few off hole one and, you know, the first tee pad and then that's it. Then we're ready to go. But if you look at any other sport, they all warm up at the NHL. They all warmed up. They were never just going to go and jump on the ice, shoot a few on goal and then, and then say, okay, let's do this. Right. So I wanted to come up with a warm up that people could do right away to make a positive impact in their game with minimal equipment. Pretty much you can do it with no equipment, just hold a disc in your hand for some of them. Yep. Then the big thing was changing the culture, right? Because as I did it, people would just look at me like, what is that guy doing over there? Like, you know, why is he doing that thing around his head with the disc? That's my favorite one, Seth. <laughs> right? I'm glad. And, and that's awesome to hear. And that's really the shoulder halos is the one I get the most feedback about from people. Um, I was out playing, playing recently with my wife and kids. We were doing something and saw two people on hole one. I've never met them before and they're doing the halos. And I was like, told my wife, I'm like, look, they're doing the halos. And I'm like, sweet. And, uh, but it's, it was the big thing was changing the culture and saying, okay, on both a pro am side, both, both pro and am sides of the sport, we don't have a culture of training. We don't have a culture of physical preparation. But if you look at all the other sports, like baseball, football, um, hockey, really uh, basketball, they all have long cultures 
like the culture is really steeped in physical preparation and knowing that, you know, improving their physical athleticism will make an impact on their game. Professional sports teams spend hundreds of thousand dollars, if not more, every single year on strength and conditioning staff, training rooms, off-season and in-season programs, all that support, not because they feel like spending money, it's because they know that it helps make their athletes perform better on the field. It helps with their their resiliency, their durability, their longevity. It, it makes a difference, and so that's why they do it. And if you look at a at a football player, right? They if if a football player or a baseball player wasn't warming up before a game, they would be the only one not doing it. Everyone else on the team would be looking at them like. Are you just send this one out? Seriously? Right? Because they've been doing it since they were 12 or 13 or 14. It, it's been it, it, warming up, preparing your body, doing the foam rolling, doing the recovery work. It's just, it's just natural for them. But in our sport, we haven't done that yet. And that's what I've been working since 2016 is really changing that culture where it's not weird to stand there and warm your body up before you throw. The goal of Breaking Chains is to grow the sport by presenting fellow disc golfers who have inspirational stories. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, send an email to rockfishproductions at gmail.com. Or you can contact me through the show's social media accounts. On Facebook, Breaking Chains, the podcast. Instagram is Breaking Chains DG. And Twitter is at BRKNGC. Check them out. And if you're so inclined, drop me a line or provide some feedback. I'd appreciate it. This episode of Breaking Chains is sponsored by MVP Disc Sports, the leader in disc golf technology. MVP now has the capacity to support both the sport and team MVP in many new ways, one of which is offering signature and tour series discs. Disc golfers can support their favorite team MVP members and find new and unique stamps on some of their favorite discs. A portion of every team disc sold goes directly to the players to help fund their tour expenses. Visit the MVP Pro Shop, which not only serves as an outlet for MVP Axiom and Streamline oddities and prototypes, but also creates a much more intuitive purchasing experience for the disc golf community as a whole. This episode's guest is Seth Muncie. In the show's second half, Seth talks about common disc golf injuries, working with Eagle McMahon, and his local club, the Monterey Singing Jellies. This is Breaking Chains. I always look at tennis and people always said, you know, I got to get in shape. I got to play tennis. And I keep telling people, tennis is really bad for your body. And you need to be in shape if you're going to be a good tennis player. And that means doing other things that prepare you for that. And I'm assuming that's the same thing with disc golf. Oh, absolutely. You know, we don't want, we don't want what we do off the course to affect us on the course. And we don't want what we do on the course to affect us off the course negatively, right? Like we don't want to show up on the, on the course and throw. And next thing we know, we hurt our shoulder because it doesn't just impact our disc golf game. It impacts our home life. It can impact our work life. The University of Arizona study showed about 81% of people who responded to this survey out of like, I think it was like 800 or 900 people, 81% of them responded that they had been injured playing disc golf. So there's a high injury rate in disc golf. If we injure ourselves, it doesn't just impact our throwing. It impacts me being able to go and pick up and play with my kids. It impacts what I do for my work. There's such a big, you know, carryover transfer into everything that we do, um, both on and off the course. And Becoming more athletic will not hurt us. It will only benefit us. The disc golf throw is an athletic movement. Now, we can choose to not improve our athleticism for it, and we can still go out there and play, but that doesn't mean we'll be able to play for very long. doesn't mean that we'll get the results that we want. And people will say, oh, I don't really want to, I don't really care about throwing farther. And I say, well, would you like to throw longer? As, as in longer years, there are injuries that happen in sport, but we want to limit the, limit the size and the, the scope of them and the, the amount of them. Common injuries, Seth. I didn't have this on the list, but uh, I'm going to guess shoulder, knees, lower back. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Now, uh, someone asked me the other day uh, the same question, and they said, you know, what's the number one injury in disc golf? And I said, the overuse injury. That's the number one injury. Now, overuse injury can show up in your shoulder, your knee, your hip, your lower back. We throw so much. If we're addicted to disc golf, like most of us are, we're out there throwing all the time. While strength and conditioning, and like preparing your body physically with a warm up and some some training, while that can make an impact on on a single throw, it can. Where it really comes down to is durability and resilience, <clears throat> because we go out there, and if I throw, you know, during a field work session, I throw 150 throws. That think of every throw as a rep of an exercise. If I told a professional baseball pitcher, uh, I said, hey, here's a bucket of 100 balls, and I want you to go out, I want you to throw these as hard as you can every day, they would, lo- they would look at me and go, no, <laughs> because I want to throw for a long time, because <laughs> I want to be good. There goes my rotator cuff. <laughs> there goes my shoulder, there goes my elbow, there goes my sense of security, as an athlete. there goes everything. They have pitch counts, they have throw counts, right? So we put so much work on our bodies. And we're not preparing our bodies for that level of work and we're not recovering appropriately for, from that. So the overuse injury, yes, and it will show up in the shoulder, the hip, the lower back. Now you can have acute, you can have an acute injury where someone goes and they throw a forehand and then all of a sudden they feel something in the shoulder at that moment. But what we find is that while that pain is acute, the root cause of it is usually chronic. You know, you've been throwing and compensating for a long time. You just didn't know it. So that shoulder has been feeling, you know, it's been getting creeping a little more, a little more to that, to that threshold. And then all of a sudden one throw goes pop and you go, what did I just do with my shoulder? What was my technique? What was that one thing I just did there in my technique that was wrong that hurt my shoulder? I know it's been chronically going out, putting a lot of work into it, not strengthening it, not recovering appropriately. And now, now that one throw made an acute injury, but it was actually rooted in the chronic cause. I just posted a video the other day about, you know, about that, about not having, not applying a technique solution to a movement problem. Like I'm a huge believer in technique and drills and using drills to improve our technique. But a lot of the times, we're trying to apply a technique solution to a movement problem. So if I'm stiff in my upper back and my upper back joints, my vertebrae don't rotate very well, it doesn't matter how many drills I try to do to get a deeper reach back. If I can't literally rotate through my joints, my vertebrae, that's an issue. I need to, I need to do a movement solution to that movement problem and then do the technique drills later. Right, because if you don't do that, then you're going to be compensating in other ways increasing the chances of injury, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're going to be compensating. And we got to think that, you know, when we go out and play around or even just field work, like if you, a professional baseball pitcher, the muscles and the, the, the movement pattern and how everything is engaging to, to produce the power and all that for, for their first throw of the game, their first throw is different on their 50th throw is different on their 80th throw, right? So because they are, you know, using those muscles and they are fatiguing over time, those muscles are fatiguing over time. So then they're going to have to use different strategies later, right? Like if I came up to you, Dan, and I shook your hand and I, and I was just crushing your hand, right? Right away, I grab your hand and I start just crushing it in a grip. For the first couple seconds, all I really need to do is engage the muscles in my hand, in my forearm, and maybe a little bit in my bicep to squeeze your hand as hard as I can. But if I keep squeezing it, I'm going to have to start using more muscles. Eventually, I'll probably have to be like squeezing my entire body to keep that same level of pressure because those muscles are fatiguing. And so the brain's saying, okay, let's recruit some more. Let's recruit some more. You know, next thing I know, I'm I'm holding my right hand in your right hand, but now my left calf is engaged because I'm trying to just tighten up everything to keep that same amount of pressure. Same thing in disc golf. We go out, our first throw is going to be different than our 30th throw, than our 50th throw. We're, we're using compensation. 
So we need to prepare for that. Okay, Seth. So now, so now I'm going to challenge you because you're one year away from being in that protected age group and, and you're going to have to start dealing with this too. I'm in the 55 plus. Okay. You know, I just finished a tournament last Saturday, two rounds at a very, very difficult course. So for the old guys who have to go through two rounds, now you said that first drive you have is going to be a heck of a lot different than that first drive in your second round. So my challenge to you, Seth, and I will, I will subscribe to this as soon as you get it done. <laughs> how, how, can, how can we start, and when I say we, the, the 50 plus age group, how can we start addressing those tournaments where we have to play those two rounds and on, on you know, rough courses? Mm-hmm. And, and you put that together, man, you're going to be make a lot of old guys happy. We will be less, let's put it this way. We'll be, we'll be less grumpy. <laughs> uh, I hear you, I hear you. Well, the good news, Dan, is I, I, I'm already addressing that in, in many ways. So I'm, and because you're right, that is a big issue. That, that's something that you, that's a desire like we all want at any age group, but you know, 55 and up, like they want to go out there. You want to go out there. You want to be able to stay energized and, and be able to feel like you can compete during the entire round and those two round days, you know. And I said, you know, working with Jay and working with, you know, other players, there's ways right now that you can go out and you can start making a positive impact on it. So the the big thing with fitness is what many of us think we need to be doing is like 700 levels above what we actually should be doing. And a lot of that's because social media and things like that, we see what people are doing that put out these videos and they'll put videos out on social media and it becomes, the goal becomes how many videos can I put on social media? And eventually then you just have to start making things up and coming up with insanely intense exercises. And when really the stuff that I do with Nate Sexton, the stuff that I do with Paige Pierce, the, the, the stuff that I do with Eagle, the same exercises I do with Jay Redding, the same exercise I did with John Baldwin, the same exercise I do with any athlete, because we are building that strong foundation from the ground up. You know, a lot of us, we turn away from like, oh, well, I've got to do some crazy exercise or I've got to really beat myself in order to be great. One of the biggest learning lessons, the biggest lessons I ever got as a strength coach is when I showed up for my first day at the at the Anaheim Ducks, I thought, okay, these are the best athletes in all of hockey. They are they're amazing, you know, physical specimens. I'm gonna see them doing the most advanced, crazy exercises in the world. I got in there and my coach was, you know, he's a feet to the fire kind of coach. He was like, All right, get in there and start coaching them. I'm like, they don't even know who I am yet. Like, get in there and start coaching them. I walk in there and I'm thinking they're gonna be doing the most crazy stuff, the most advanced stuff. It wasn't. It was they were being they were brilliant at the basics. They were brilliant at the foundations. My coach said, "Seth, these are not professional exercisers. These are professional athletes." My goal is, he told me, you know, my goal is to make sure that strength and conditioning isn't the thing. Being on the ice and competing and winning a Stanley Cup—that's the thing, right? I'm not trying to be the main show here. I'm helping them do stuff in here that's going to help them be amazing on the ice. And if I crush them or I give them such a complicated exercise, they have to spend 20, 30 minutes trying to figure it out. Or it's so complicated, it's so intense that now they'll be wiped out. Yeah. They they're so sore that they can't, they they have trouble putting their skates on. I'm going to get fired. That's not my job is not to crush them. My job is to do things that are going to be complementary to them as athletes. So that's why like with my athletes, I don't try to be the main show. That's not my job. I don't, my goal is, and I have to actually steer them away from, you know, the, the perception of, oh, as an athlete, we have to kill ourselves. If I crush Eagle on a Tuesday and then Eagle's going out to the course on Friday for a tournament and he can barely walk because he's so sore because I was like, it's leg day, you know, like he's not gonna, that's, that's not helping him as an athlete. So it's, Going down and figuring out, okay, what are the things that are going to stabilize our shoulder? What are the things that are going to to mobilize our hip and stabilize our hip? What are the things that are going to, and they don't usually look like what you see in magazines or on training on Instagram. It's not, I'm not going to say it's boring, 
but it's foundational, right? It's foundational. Derek Jeter fielding a fielding a ground ball and throwing it to first during a warm up, uh, you know, as he as he's getting ready to play, uh, that's very foundational. That's probably boring to him. He's been doing it since he was a little kid, but he was still doing it as a Gold Glove Hall of Famer shortstop. He was still doing those basic foundational movements, you know, those foundational plays because that's what mattered most. He didn't want to stop doing that because now he was a pro. So we do the same thing. So it doesn't matter if you're age 55 and up. doesn't matter if you're 18. doesn't matter if you're 12. It's all approachable. It's all exercise that everybody would be able to do because it's not about training. It's about becoming a better disc golfer. Yeah. And you mentioned Eagle. There, there's a guy who arguably the, the guy who throws the farthest on the tour, forehand, backhand. And, you know, two, two or three years ago, very slight in build. Uh, but I've noticed he has really been not bulking up because I'm sure you're going to back me up on that. That's not something you want to do, but you want to you want to develop that strong. I'm going to say strong flexibility. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So so Eagle, what, working with Eagle is is such a pleasure. Um, it, you know, if I say, hey, I want you to do this, he does it. He's you know, hey, do this pre-round warm up, do this recovery session. He's like, all right, let's go. What do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? He's he's always looking for ways to what I call you know work disc golf. You know, he's wanting to not just show up on the weekend and play. If it's a Monday and it's noon and he's got to do something, he's going to do it. So it's fantastic, you know, to see the level of commitment he's taken towards his athleticism, towards his professionalism. And, and what he really wants to accomplish as a, as an athlete and where he wants to help take the sport. So Eagle putting on a little bit of, a little bit of mass. Yes. Bodybuilding. We don't need to do a lot of bodybuilding and a lot of people are afraid to work out or to train because they're like, well, I don't want to put on a lot of, a lot of mass. People that put on a lot of mass will tell you it's one of the hardest things they've ever done because you've got to, eat a ton of food. You got to put a lot of calories in things like that. Right. So it's really hard to put on a lot of mass, but he's putting on a little bit. And one of my mentors, Dan John and amazing strength coach with a lot of Olympians, a lot of people he's worked with, he calls it armor building. You're just putting on a little bit of armor, right? Just to help protect the joints a little more, to help protect the body, help protect uh, the nervous system, fatigue, keeping you from, you know, as much fatigue. So putting on just a little bit of armor, by, by adding a little bit of mass, but not too much. Okay. Seth, talk about your local club. Yeah. My local club is the Monterey singing jellies. And <laughs> that's a great name. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a great name. The Monterey singing jellies. Um, we are a small club. Uh, De La has much, a much bigger and more involved club. Unfortunately, right now with, with our, our lack of courses, the club has gone hasn't been involved as it was years ago because we don't really have many courses to play right now. Um, and we're trying to get our course Ryan ranch back, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I love repping the, the singing jellies and glad to be a part of the club and, and looking forward to it growing in the future. And it's been interesting to see like the club where, where the clubs are on the East coast in the Midwest, on the West Coast, right? It's it's a it's a different experience, actually. Not even just the West Coast, but really like California. Like I go to Oregon, and it's like you know you get two hundred people show up for a league night. You're like, oh my gosh, I you know we get like five. You know, so we're we're a much smaller club. Like I took a friend a friend of mine from this area joined me at um, Glassblown Open last year, and he had never been like seen anything like that and he was like this is insane and then he came back he had to be oversensitized oh my gosh <laughs> that'd be crazy he was like, <laughs> he's like a little kid to disney world <laughs> oh gosh he's like this is crazy he's like they have they, this is what it's like like this is what the disc golf community is like you know and you know i saw people with disc golf tattoos you know like there's there's a lot of there was a lot of that so he came back thinking man we got to do so much for the club and then we lost ryan ranch which is our our main staple course so looking forward to, to it continuing to grow in the future though. Seth, last question. What do you love most about the game? I would say what I love most about the game is the community. I feel at home wherever I go. 
you know, my, my kids, my two daughters are 10 and they're eight. They are involved in disc golf. They love seeing the players and, and, and learning about the sport. My wife, just wherever you go, you know, you can bring a bag or bring a couple of discs with you on a work trip. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, you post in a, in a Facebook group, Hey, anyone playing or you show up and next thing you know, you're, you're on hole one and you're teeing off with two or three other people and you're having a great time. You know, most of your best friends become, or you know, end up becoming disc golfers or they, they are disc golfers rather than they become your best friends. That's just, everything else builds upon that. That, my friends, is the signal for the rapid fire round. To conclude each episode of Breaking Chains, I'll fire random questions at my guests. Some of the questions will be disc golf related, others not so much. Okay, Seth, here we go. Worst injury you ever suffered? I would say that the worst injury I ever suffered was when my brother hit me in the face with a uh, steel pole when we were like 12 or 13 oh years God. old. We were playing around. I don't even remember what we were doing, but I just know I got hit in the face with a steel pole. <laughs> so that's, you bring that up every once in a yeah, while. Oh yeah. Con- yeah. Contact injury for sure. <laughs> What's the oldest disc you own? Uh, the oldest disc I own, I actually would say, I don't know what, where I, I picked it up a while back, but it's a, an old Firebird. I don't know much about it. I just know that it is beat in and it is old. I don't I don't get too much into collecting discs right now, but that would say that would be the oldest one I own right now. What's the best overall exercise anyone can do to improve their flexibility? The best overall exercise anyone can do would be to learn how to breathe properly. Breathe in through your nose, into your belly. Don't breathe up into your chest. Breathe in and out your nose. Do breathing exercises. A lot of flexibility, a lot of tension in the muscles is actually not because the muscles short and needs to be stretched. It's neural tension. And if we're if our bodies are stressed out, our bodies are going to get tight. When you're stressed out, you get tight. So calming yourself down, cooling down the 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 nervous system, the body, the um is going to make a big impact on how you move and your tension levels. Do you carry your bag or do you use a cart? I do both. I, ha- I have a disc golf strong bag by from pound. And so I'm definitely obligated to carry that because I love that bag. It's got my logo on it. So I definitely carry that, but I also have a cart. So it's situational for me. But when I carry my bag, I make sure that I pick it up properly and I actually train um, to be able to use my bag. So I go on rucking and I have all my athletes do that. Best course you ever played? Uh, the best course I ever played, I, you know, I would say Yarva, Yarva, but I would say that there's another course called Katis. Got it's, it's Katis. I hope I'm saying that right for all my <laughs> Finnish friends. Katis. It's in Numela, Numela, Finland. And it's like the, it's like the Yarva of, uh, of Finland. Favorite guilty pleasure in terms of food? Favorite guilty pleasure in terms of food? Ice cream. I absolutely love ice cream. I grew up, my uncle, my who is only a few years older than me, he would always say, ice cream fixes everything. You know, he put me in a headlock, almost break my neck. And then he'd say, just eat, <laughs> eat some ice cream and you'll feel better. Um, you know, anything that we would do, he was always like, all right, go get some ice cream. Let's do it. And my grandma would make amazing chocolate milkshakes with ice cream. So. That's my guilty pleasure. Favorite restaurant? My favorite restaurant. Um, I'm a big uh, um, sushi fan. I love sushi. So anywhere I can go that has sushi is is uh, all right with me. What's your favorite outdoor activity besides disc golf? I grew up on the water. So body surfing, surfing, anything in the water at the ocean is what I love to do. Favorite movie? My favorite movie... I love, I'm not going to say it's my favorite movie, but it's the most recent movie that came into my head because I watched it last night, Castaway. If you could play around with any person, dead or alive, whom would it be and why? I think I would play with uh, Steady Ed, I would say. You know, I live right, you know, he, he was just up, up the road here. I never, never got to meet with him, um, but I would love to just be able to talk to him. What was the driving force um, behind what he did for the sport and kind of some of his experiences. 
Seth, how could people find out more about Disc Golf Strong? Absolutely. So we have our Instagram, our, our Facebook, um, and our YouTube. So just Disc Golf Strong on YouTube. Same thing on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we have the Disc Golf Strong Fitness Community on Facebook, which is a it's a free fitness group. We have around 5,000 people in there. So I post content in there. So if you want to join that group on Facebook, you can ask questions in there. If you want to get deeper into programs, things like that, you can check out discgolfstrong.com slash performance. And then finally, if you want that ebook, yeah, just go to discgolfstrong.com forward slash athlete, and you can download the free ebook. And then also there's some exercises um, or there you'll get, also get some uh, like a jumpstart body weight training program, anything like that. And then finally, the app, the app, Disc Golf Strong app. So you can just find it on your, there's a free app that you can download on your phone. All right. Seth Muncy, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Dan, thank you for uh, having me on the this great podcast. I really enjoyed the discussion. Um, and I look forward to crossing paths with you on the course someday. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. That wraps up this episode of Breaking Chains. A big thanks to Seth Muncy. You can find out more about Seth and Disc Golf Strong on the Breaking Chains website, www.rockfishproductions.com. This episode of Breaking Chains was sponsored by MVP Disc Sports, who offer an awesome selection of discs within their MVP, Axiom, and Streamline disc lines. Be sure to check out the MVP Pro Shop and take advantage of the special offers. You can find the Pro Shop at www.mvpproshop.com. MVP, the leader in disc golf technology. Kevin McLeod wrote and performed the show's theme, Unwritten Return, and Big Rock. The music at the break, Flying Away, was written and performed by DP Music. This podcast is copyrighted by Rockfish Productions, LLC. LLC.